Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Eddie Krawick and Tony Pedregon. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're talking motorcycles and setting up the U.S. Nationals. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. It's Indy Week on the Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans, and we are in for a great episode this week. It's Indy Week. We got Eddie Craywick coming on to talk about Pro Stock Motorcycle, talk about the uh, Mickey Thompson Pro Bike Battle that will be part of the Denso Spark Plugs NHRA US Nationals. And my man, Tony Pedragon, is going to come on. Tony uh, is going to be involved in a very fun kind of, I don't say a sideshow, an exhibition at the U.S. Nationals. We'll talk about that as well as talking about uh, our thoughts on the different professional categories. What looks to be an incredible weekend of weather coming up here for the U.S. Nationals. High temperatures only going to touch the mid-80s at any point. The forecast, knock on wood, is very dry, which is certainly something that we have struggled with at a couple of the indie races. And we have our Friday night evening qualifying session at 7.30, which will be the best and fastest air that these racers have seen all year and it will be the only race that they get three qualifying sessions at so a lot of stuff to consider that we'll go over that kind of stuff with tony once we get him on here in a little while but uh it's great it's u.s nationals week and it feels like u.s nationals week and the role of the u.s nationals not just in the nhra season not just in 2020, but really in drag racing in general, um, people get fixated on the fact that you know there are 24 events and the U.S. Nationals happens to be one of those 24 and they feel as though it doesn't have the same character it once did. Or um, And there's several reasons people say this. And, you know, there obviously there are times in an era in this sport when there was one event a year and then two events a year and then four, six, so on and so forth. So at that point, yes, these events did have a very special appeal to them in a unique way because there are so few of them. The other thing that changed the perspective of the U.S. Nationals for a lot of people is knowing who's going to be there. And there was a long time in drag racing history when you went to Indy and you had no idea who was going to show up. You had no idea who would have a new car or who would be testing something or who would be teamed up for that particular race because the sport, the media surrounding the sport was the media of the time which was uh, magazines, basically, was your one source to get anything. And the lead time on magazine printing at that time of the world was, uh, depending on a monthly magazine, you were working on about a three-month lead. Obviously, National Dragster, obviously, Drag News would be kicking magazines out and kicking their newspapers out at a very quick rate. But um, there was an element of that at the U.S. Nationals where you just didn't know who was coming or what they were going to bring. And, of course, we know all that stuff now because of electronic media, because of social media, and because of the different factors that go into the way people consume and follow the sport of NHRA championship drag racing. So, yes, I would would like at some point, you know, to have experienced that, that idea of you not knowing who's going to be where or what they're going to be doing. Uh, and in what category, that type of thing. Um, certainly some of the procedural things uh, at the race have changed dramatically over the years. There was no dedicated qualifying sessions until the 19 early 80s, I should say. And um, one can only, if you've only followed drag racing in the modern way, which is most people at this point, um, people look past the fact that you know qualifying sessions were not a thing until the 80s. And one of the great 
misnomers or one of the great uh, misleading things you'll see on the internet at times is you'll see a photo from an old race and there'll be maybe a couple of stock eliminator cars or there'll be a super gas car something on the racetrack and the stands will just be blown out and they'll say see back when I was a kid everybody watched every run in stock and super gas and they don't do that today and the only reason that those stands were packed during that time obviously you had a section of people that love those cars as they still do me being one of them but the other thing was you don't know at any point a top fuel car or a funny car could have come around the corner. There was no rhyme or reason as to who was where in the lanes. And the racers would sit in the lanes all day long trying to get their qualifying runs in. And maybe you got two shots, maybe you got four, maybe you got five, maybe you got one. But you had to make a count. And guys and girls would service their cars in the staging lanes. You would be there for so long, they would put the car up on jack stands. This during the era where you didn't have to take the engine completely apart. And right there in the staging lanes, just do their service because they knew they were going to be sitting there for hours and hours on end. The U.S. Nationals, one of the other things that would happen, especially when we talk about top fuel, was early on in the format of the U.S. Nationals, the winner of top fuel class eliminations because they had class eliminations for everyone and then you would go into the actual eliminator the winner of top fuel class would have an automatic berth in the final of top fuel eliminator so you could win class on friday or saturday and then leave which is what a lot of racers did and they would run match races for a day or two at small tracks in the midwest and then they would come back for monday and they would wait until the end Final round, and then they come out and race whoever had raced their way into the final. It's a pretty amazing and wild format that existed for many years, something that we can't even really conceive of today. But, you know, just all those things in, in U.S. Nationals lore. And, you know, it'd be great to have the time to kind of go in depth and tell these stories on the TV show. But as the case is, we have so much racing to talk about and show, so much action to show, we can only kind of touch on these things. Uh, we have five hours of coverage coming on Sunday, starting on FS1 from 11 to 1 p.m., and then we transfer to the Fox Broadcast Network, your local Fox affiliate, if you will, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., and that is all going to be live. So basically what you're going to be watching is first round on FS1, and then the remainder of eliminations on the Fox Broadcast Network, or whatever that particular channel number is in your hometown. It's going to be great. It is our it is our greatest marathon of live television every year. It is, uh, of course, um, a day that still gives all of us chills, and it's really fun just to be there to be part of the U.S. Nationals. In short, things are different this year. Obviously, the race shortened up, snugged up by a day on either end, Thursday to Sunday instead of Wednesday to Monday. Uh, operationally, that made sense. 891 entries in the race this year, which is phenomenal. Um, normally the race pulls right about 900 to 1,000, and considering all the different factors that are hampering people's ability to go racing or have fun or do stuff during this time that we're living in right now, um, to have 900 race cars showing up in all different variety of race cars is uh, is really spectacular. It is effectively the entire slate of NHRA categories, including Super Street, which we don't normally see at the U.S. Nationals. Super Street will be contested. We have the Jigs All-Stars. We have the Mickey Thompson Pro Bike Battle, um, and the hits go on and on. So a lot of great things happening there. We have the the finals that need to be run from the Lucas Oil NHRA Summer Nationals, which will be a Nitro Funny Car Jack Beckman taking on Matt Hagen. And in Top Fuel, the one that I think all of us are the most amped up about, the, all, the one that all of us are looking ahead to most, is this final round between TJ Zizzo and Justin Ashley. And we will have a first-time winner in Top Fuel for the first time in a long time, if you will. But a first-time winner in Top Fuel 
will be fantastic, and it will really set the tone for that particular team and their rest of the weekend. If you can win the U.S., you can win your delayed race on Saturday in qualifying, and then you can come back on Sunday and win the U.S. Nationals. I mean, you're getting a little bit of a mental edge on the competition, in my opinion, being able to have that competition run late in qualifying. It sets that edge. It kind of sets that competitive spirit that other teams will be working their way into on Sunday morning. We've heard racers talk about it, and we've heard uh, kind of other fans and people involved in the sport talk about how you know Eliminations Day at the U.S. Nationals does feel different. It really does. And it's a race that always seems to deliver us uh, some Cinderella stories in some way, shape, or fashion. We look back, 2017, Kevin Kinsley, guy comes qualifies on a bump, makes the final round, loses, but makes the final round. It was an incredible, incredible day. So much fun. Terry McMillan winning this race. Doug Coletta winning it last year, coasting against Billy Torrance. We look at uh, J.R. Todd's back-to-back in 17 and 18. We look at Ron Capps. Is this the year? He won a race at Indy, but he has not won Indy. So it is funny. Uh, you know, for 60 years, when drag racers said Indy, they meant one race, and 2020 has changed all of that. There is one other thing I want to touch on, though, and that is the U.S. Nationals' influence on the rest of drag racing. And this is an ir- irrefutable point that separates the Denzel Sparkplugs U.S. Nationals from any other drag race on the planet. Because there is no other single race that drives the drag racing industry and drives racetrack revenue and drives participation harder than this one. And you say, well, huh, well, yeah, 891 cars. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. It's marketed as the world's biggest drag race. And, you know, there there can be very little debate about that. And if we look at the landscape, especially in 2020, there is not a race that, are, that is, there has not been a race that has had 900 single entries a lot of the large bracket races will count entries but they allow double and triple entries on the same car for drivers so the 900 entries is not the point i'm getting at here about the the massive effect that the indy race has what it does is this whole week or really a two-week window around this event spurns or spawns i should say drag races across the country and makes them a lot larger for instance they just had a divisional or regional event at Yellowstone Drag Strip um, out there in Wyoming. And I heard more about that track and more about that race than I probably ha- have ever um, in the last couple of weeks. Johnny Lindbergh won in Funny Car, had a massive car count, probably more so than they've had in any uh, in any of their previous uh, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series participation, which is fantastic. Then we can go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is the ancestral home and continues to be the big division three race that leads into Indy. It has always been a pre-Indy race forecast this year was not the best because of the remnants of the hurricane. Doesn't matter. Place was a blowout place was packed. They raced uh, into the early part of the week to actually get it finished because of the rain. And that maintained that tradition of this huge race that is huge because people race there. Then they go to Indy. Then we look at the NMCA was up in Martin, Michigan with a combo race, NMCA, NMRA combo race, 640 entries at a track they had not raced at in years. They went to, they went to us 131 because they couldn't go to Norwalk this year. So they moved to 131, almost 700, or I should say almost 650 entries. And you think to yourself, well, that has nothing to do with the U S nationals. And I say, bull, you look at their car counts in categories like their, their 
Holly EFI factory supercar category, which is like factory stock showdown. Loads in there. They had a Copo shootout. They had a Cobra Jet shootout. So they have a stock super stock combo class that was packed to the gills. So you tell me, you take those three categories, and I have not done the hard math on it, but you take those three categories alone, it's 100 plus cars. And I'm not saying all of them are going to Indy, but I am saying probably half will end up at the U.S. Nationals, whether they're going to run stock or super stock, whether they're going to run in the factory stock showdown, wherever they may fall, whatever they may do, it is still a bump. And this is not the only three examples. There is a load of races, small races, guys have held specialty races that are specifically tailored to class racing to get people some competition, to get people some runs before they hook their trailer and go to Indy. So my point is to the U.S. Nationals to go back to the original point where people say it's just the same old, same old. For all the emotional reasons they're wrong, those are the ones that you have a hard time proving because they're personal. You know, you can't you can't uh, tell somebody, well, it feels different. That's why it's different. Well, what does that mean? It feels different to everybody. You know, energy, history, gravitas aside, that's a immeasurable thing. But what is measurable is participation and the fact that there are 891 racers from around the country that have spent the time, spent the money, spent the blood, sweat, and tears to prepare for this particular race. And I cannot wait to be there to celebrate their accomplishments. I can't be I can't wait to watch the things that will shock me and the things that will blow me away. Um, I learned one of my most valuable lessons as a broadcaster last year during the US Nationals, specifically during the Pro Stock final round, which is just because you think you've seen everything doesn't mean you've seen everything. And uh, for those of you that watched the race or have heard that call, it's it's Alex Laughlin and it's Erica. And Alex has a 120 reaction time, and Erica just buried him at the starting line. And unbeknownst to me, Erica was having a transmission problem with the car between, I think, second and third gear. And just on the simple reaction time alone and the fact that the first gear or two looked clean, I started to set this call up like she was going to take it, and he drove around her at the finish line. It was a stunner. And it was an amazing thing to watch. And it also was like, okay, that's not something you want to do again. A lot of fun. Can't wait for those moments again this year. And I really can't wait to uh, just see everybody and be involved in as much pageantry as is possible at Indy. Now, there are certain things we can't do because of social distancing. There are certain things we will not participate in because they just don't make sense at this point. We're allowed 50% capacity at the racetrack. Personally, I feel as though the weather forecast being as brilliantly good as it is, um, a Indiana audience that is, in my opinion, probably starved for some good high-performance professional-level motorsports activity, um, an Indiana crowd that was packing in the oval at Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis for the uh, their night before the 500 stuff. or the, you know they, they did all kinds of great things leading up on the oval track that had a great crowd. So it will not be a full bore sellout because we can't have that 50% capacity but I do believe we'll be close to if not on a 50% sellout we also for the first time since February have a race happening on the weekend when it is supposed to happen at the location it is supposed to happen at that's one of the other things to think about none of these races we've had so far after Phoenix have occurred not even at the same venue they're supposed to be at let alone at the same time so um, this is something people have been planning for, hoping people are able to come out and enjoy it with us. All the same protocols and the same things that we talk about 
that we've been doing in terms of temperature checks and the hand sanitizer and all that kind of stuff are in effect and will be followed at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. So there you have it. There's uh, my pre-indie rant that I like to make now for two years in a row here on the Insider Podcast, and I think it's time for us to get moving towards the guests. All right, so I welcome this week's first guest onto the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is a Harley-Davidson riding guy who originally came from the East Coast. Now he's happily living in Indiana. Eddie Kraywick, how you doing, man? <laughs> I, I am doing well, yes, happily living out, out in the Midwest. I never thought I'd say that, but I am. <laughs> man, we've all been living out in the Midwest so far this season, at least for the last couple of months, and we get to do it the time that we're traditionally supposed to be there of course for the u.s nationals this weekend and obviously it's a huge weekend for everybody in the sport but for pro stock motorcycle especially we're talking mickey thompson pro bike battle and we're also talking about a season that really is starting to form up in terms of points now we kind of know at least we suspect there's going to be maybe six seven more races after indy so these round wins really start to become very important now because there is going to be no countdown there's going to be no reset so I guess I want to talk to you at this point in the season. How are you feeling about the way the team has come along? Well, I, I mean, we're all we're all getting ready for just that other race, you know. So um, <laughs> as as everybody would like to say, I mean, but with all honesty, I mean, it's U.S. Nationals. This is the real indie race. Yes. Like the other races that happen in Indy, and listen, I'm not discrediting anybody. I would have loved to take any one of those wins, but. This is the indie race. This is like this is this is the race everybody has to have their. Well, I, I could I could use choice words, but uh, they're 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 crapped together to make sure when you roll in here, you have everything right. And you know, really, I, I think we're kind of coming into that at the right time. I mean, you mentioned we got Angel's bike uh, kind of a little bit straightened out. She's been doing a a, a very good job in getting it down the track a lot better. Um, we did try to screw it up for her and try to throw it away there. We had a little bit of a clutch malfunction and just kind of, uh, it was really a rush situation. Um, you know, the, the, the guy comes by and he tells us, you know, cause NHRA has little guy, you know, guys that yeah. ride by on scooters that tell you, Hey, come on, get to the lanes. The guy comes by our trailer. We literally have the bike all apart. Don't even have the clutch in it yet. And he says, four minutes in the water box the guy is waiting on you and we're like holy shit you know like right. so we started getting it all back together we had her getting suited up next thing you knew it was like we're pushing up there and we're rolling by Bostick's pit and he's sitting there getting ready he starts panicking throwing all his leathers on uh-huh. <laughs> you know so we're like oh yeah. man so we knew going up there that there was a potential problem um so I kind of had all the ducks in a row mentally. I said it to Andrew while we were riding up together. I was like, hey, this is probably what's going to happen. And we kept trying to, to get the clutch lever to, to make a screw up. And then all of a sudden, right there in the water box, it happened. So, but I'd say we are. We're, we're, we're peaking right at the right time. Kind of teams all gelling. Everybody's coming together. I'm excited. I mean, truthfully, I think I screwed up my last race. Uh, it, it was a little bit of a tuning error on my part, just an oversight on my RPM knob. And it, it, it kind of, instead of turning it up a uh, hundred RPM, I turned it down 900. So that's not a good thing. And yeah, that could have an adverse yeah. effect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so especially when we're, when we're trying to tune by hundreds, uh, you know, and you turn it down 900, it really went to the toilet. I, I actually felt the piston pulse as it was going because it, tugged it down to like 2500 it was like 
and started going back and i knew i didn't have enough room to catch him but i tried anyway you know i wanted we had angel on a couple of weeks ago and she talked about that you know that moment at the starting line and and kind of the thrash to get things set correctly and the thing she kept bringing up was how everybody was calm and i thought that was really cool you know because we talked we talked during the course of her interview about how you know she's she struggled with different things mentally over the last couple of seasons or she's gotten fixated on things and hasn't been able to get around them in her head and so the fact that you guys provided while you were thrashing like this kind of calm attitude i think really you know she ultimately had to do the job at the starting line but you guys set her up to succeed even though it was crazy nobody was panicking up there yeah she says that she's like how do you guys think i'm like what's there to get excited about i'm like we're gonna get it fixed it's gonna be fine and she's like she's like well how's that gonna fix the uh, affect the clutch lever i said i told her i'm like angel it's within two or three thou i'll guarantee it i said it's gonna leave the starting line and it's gonna go good and that was the way i left the conversation with her when i was walking from the bike I do my own clutch on my bike, so I know the feel, and I kind of know where, you know, we have a certain air gap that we set, yep. and, and, and I mean, I'll guarantee you it was within 5,000 for sure. I mean, it's just I've pulled my lever 10,000 times, so uh, it, it's basically, it was just keeping her comfortable, letting her know not to stress, and we had it under control. We were going to have it fixed, so. And, um, you know, the way that Pro Stock Bike has been going since uh, really, I guess, starting at the finals last year, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I, I would not, I, you know, I would, Chris Bostic was the last human being in the world I would have wanted to race in that final <laughs> just with the way things are going. It's And then all of a sudden this clutch thing starts happening and I'm looking at Tony going, it's happening again. Like, whatever this is, is happening again. <laughs> you are 100%. That was the exact same thing we were saying because we hear, you know, like Reinhardt announced and everybody, I hear it. It's like, I'm like, this is going to be the three most unexpected winners in a row that would ever happen, you know. And, and like I said, it's it's no disregard to any of them because they all earn their right to be there and, and they all earn their win in their own right. But it's just the mathematical numbers of the bikes in the class that should have been there weren't. Yeah. So it made it so cool. I, honestly, I, I think that's what makes this class so good is – really you do have to be there on race day you have to not make mistakes and you have to have a team behind you and until you get all that to gel man any day or any single run is vulnerable yeah and it's um it's been incredible to watch and obviously you know this particular race the denzo spark plugs u.s nationals always has like built into it it seems to have these kind of cinderella stories you guys have been producing them every single event we've gone to no matter where we're at <laughs> but i almost you know it's it's it makes me smile to think of what's what's possible for this uh for this coming weekend i really want to talk about the pro bike battle because it's a huge deal for the category Twenty five thousand dollar prize mickey thompson been behind this thing for several years now and, and it's been a pro Program that has been ongoing for god 20 years probably if you go back to everybody that's been involved but let's talk a little bit about your mentality your outlook here when we're talking about racing for 25 grand this weekend well so it's kind of interesting because my first it was the ringers glove pro bike battle at that exact time and that was my first ever career win in nhra pro stock motorcycle 2008 indy that is when it all came together for me. Like, that was my switching point, basically. Um, I went on that year to win the championship and never won a damn race, you know? So, it was <laughs> like, 
it's, it's like, what are you going to do? You know, what do I got to do to get something here? You know, just drop, drop little crumbs on the table and let me grab them. But, you know, uh, that was the turning point for me. I, I mean, and it's, it's here we are back in Indy again. Uh, I'm, I'm licking my chops at the weather that we're going to have by the, oh, by the looks beautiful. of it. It's yeah. going to be, it's going to be somewhere in the uh, mid seventies to low, low eighties. And I think the bike class will not disappoint. I mean, you're going to see some, I think, crushing times here in Indy, um, based off of how fast we were going with the category. And what I mean by that is if you look how we progressed, I mean, the downtime, the last thing you want to give engine guys is downtime (laughs) and months to work on stuff. Because I assure you, we found a lot of parts that didn't work. So, um, you know, it's like we've learned and learned and grew and got better and made more power. And, you know, we really haven't had that opportunity to get our Arleys like out in great air. And we're we're looking forward to this because I, I think we're going to run well. Um, the pro bike battle, I think, is going to be interesting when you look at the pairings. Some odd reason we all stayed away from each other again, meaning our teammates, you know, so yeah. we 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 all are on a let's just say a, a different path with what we, who we have to race and potentially sides of the ladder. Um, so when you break it down, there are some really good first round matchups. I, I mean, I really was like, okay, I know what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be me and Matt or me and somebody, me and Andrew that really don't want to race first round, but uh, we're here. Let's get it over and done with. Yeah, I mean, you got uh, Hector Jr. first round, and uh, obviously they're taking this very seriously. They were out testing. He actually wasn't part of our random Mickey Thompson drawing because he was flying back from testing uh, at Indy to make sure they were in kind of peak shape. You know, the other value, I guess, outside of obviously the, the monetary twenty five grand and the prestige of winning the event is um, those kind of, to me, their runs, their competition runs, right, even though they're not a Sunday elimination run. But still, it's going to help. When you do get to Sunday and you do go into first round, it's like just another day of work, right? Do the butterflies lessen a little bit because you have been racing, so to speak, the day before? I I think it does help in that aspect. But, you know, here here we are. We're going to have one hit come Friday night. And then we have to basically go into race mode, you know. So in qualifying, we'll tend to go after things a little harder, I would say, you know, then race day mode, race day mode. You want to make sure you make the right call. Thing goes down the track. So I think between two qualifying sessions on Saturday are being two elimination rounds. We're going to run those a little bit different, but I really think that's where that Friday night run comes into it, where you got to get after it, get your place in the field and then start racing. I mean, we want to go as fast as we can every single lap. Um, that's our goal, but right now, I think uh, I think everybody wants to win a, that Mickey Thompson twenty five thousand dollar check. I mean, the great thing is once Mickey came aboard, you know, we're thousand dollars to number one qualifier, so we're always shooting yeah. for that money. You know, we we I want to take every little bit of it that I can. So, uh, you, you know, right now with the ca- category, the way that I'd say there's probably eight or ten bikes that could potentially be on the pole any given race yeah no it makes total sense i mean you just look at the competitive spread or you look at the et spread when we get into sunday morning and go man everybody's just kind of in a big knot um one of the cool stories that's been a little bit under the radar because it really just came together yesterday was michael phillips is going to be attempting to qualify for the race and we haven't heard his name in a while and he he is 
obviously one of the class's great uh, you know characters. He's a great writer, but uh, it's really cool to see Phillips's name on the entry sheet. You know, I think it's great to see anybody's name really at this point uh, with with the adversity yeah. that we're all dealing with. And you look at this race, and what's there? I think there's like four different guys um, on the list that. Uh, well, maybe hadn't raced this yes. year or three, something, yep. three, three or four. So, I think Ron Tornow is at the first race. So, um, when when you look at it, I think it's just great for the class in general. You know, it's it's very difficult to turn around and grow a category, um, especially with everything that we're oh, up man. against. But yeah. right now, with with all these other guys coming out, I think it's really good. I mean. Of course, having extra personality and and having, you know, what I'd like to say is vocal people in the class for me is a good thing. I mean, I've always been a vocal guy. I don't really care what people think, whether you like me or not. I'm going to tell you the way it is or the way I view it. Doesn't mean it's it's the right way, but um, you know, I think that's what makes the motorcycle category just a little bit more exciting than all the others. Yeah, I agree. And you got two elements. One, you have, you know, you got people that are willing to speak their mind, Matt Smith, you, whoever, and the fact that it's your, you know, when you actually see the people in competition, as opposed to just the helmet inside the car, it does lend itself a whole different element. And the coolest thing about Phillips coming back is I get to now go back into the NHRA film archives and find that uh, kerfuffle he and Bostic got in two years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> when he, yeah. he went it, in, it was, I think, 2002 or 2003 was. Indy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael headbuttered him, gave him a little bit of a nod. You think anything's gonna happen now? <laughs> I don't know. I love it though. I'm gonna. I, I'm a troll, so I'm gonna go dig the video up. So we'll have that for our qualifying show or something. But it's cool. It's like I'm thinking in my head, like I know something happened between these guys. I'm like, oh, it was them, and I went back and found it. So we'll have that. It did. Right that day. was Bostic's first semifinal, I yes. think, and I think it was 03 because that was actually the weekend. Um, I, I didn't get to go to the that was a rainout race. Okay. They the the first round I believe I believe that's what happened. It was delayed uh, a week. You're right. Yep. Yes. It, because I actually I had my very first pro stock motorcycle. I let uh, my good friend Brian Schultz ride it, uh, which was actually da- it was Dave Schultz's bike that wow. he was building when he passed. Okay. And Brian wanted to race, so we called up Vance and Hines, rented an engine. And basically, Brian used my chassis. I drove out here. We put it all together. He qualified 16th. He ended up racing on gel first round, went red. Um, and I was in Richmond racing my 600 Supersport bike in the uh, AMA Pro Star Series at that time. I actually got my first win on that weekend. With oh, that's a, wild. Uh, yeah, with, with, uh, with a Yamaha motorcycle. So it was pretty cool. But uh, that's why I remember it so good. But. It was it was an interesting weekend out here for sure. <laughs> One last thing I'd like to cover before we uh, before I let you back to uh, preparation and going back to work is obviously we have not seen anybody show up with the four valve cylinder head yet on a Suzuki. Um, and obviously you, Vance and Hines, in the engine business, this is obviously something I'm assuming you, you've been playing around with and what anybody's been playing around with. Your opinion, why? It would seem as though. People would have had time to test, or maybe they didn't. I don't know. It just—it's odd to me that we haven't seen any four-valve combination show up yet. So Bostics just hit the track the other day, and that was something that uh, George Baber built and did that. Um, the Vance and Hines stuff—we're actually in the process right now of putting the engine together. Okay. Um, for us, the biggest headache has been getting some parts from some suppliers. Okay. Um, you know the. 
the this whole pandemic deal with everything oh, yeah. shutting down. I mean, the, the the state of Michigan. Not a lot of people realize it, but a lot of parts, especially Valve Springs and some other stuff, come out of that state, and they were shut down for two and a half months. Um, you know, so there was some headaches there. Uh, our cam supplier was was really in a bad situation. That being comp cams, you know, they were they were well far behind, and yeah. all the stuff that goes through. The what I'd like to say is that vicious cycle of all the different suppliers, you know, so it's like it's got to go. We make and manufacture all the parts. We machine them. We do all that. Um, but then the raw part has to go. It's got to go to heat treat and then it's got to come back from heat treat. Got to go to ref grind. Got to go to final, you know, and then it's like as you go through all those processes, everything just gets delayed yeah. um, or you got to make special tooling for some of it. But we are in our final home stretch. Um I'd like to tell you we're probably four months behind because I really thought we were going to have something in April or May to be able to be testing. Um, but with this whole unfortunate situation, I mean, we need to make the best of it with what we have. I mean, judging by the way the Suzuki's ran all at the end of last year, yeah, nobody was really lacking. Now, I think obviously you always could use more power. Um, and, and I think the, the four valve will provi- provide that. But um, I think right now it's like everybody's kind of hunting for the tune-ups and nobody really had that opportunity, like you're saying, to go out testing. Most drag strips all around the country are still closed. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I listen to people on a weekly basis that call me up, Hey man, I'm finally getting out to go racing and it's great. I love to hear it. I mean, for us advanced and Heinz here, we've been, we've been busy. There hasn't been, uh, any, any downtime. We've been working on all sorts of stuff. Uh, we work in every kind of every part of the motorsports arena, whether it's as long as it has two wheels, we work sure. on it and even some four wheel stuff. I mean, we do some factory stock stuff. We do some other other cylinder heads. Uh, as long as it's got a four valve head on it, we, we kind of specialize in that. And just one to, to finish up this point, when the availability is there, when everything is assembled, how long do you think the actual development process in terms of the thing going from a running engine in a motorcycle to a competitive running engine in a motorcycle is going to be, is that something that think, takes months or weeks or? No, I think it's going to be a pretty quick curve. I mean, we have an idea. We know where we need to, you know, so back in 2001, um, I mean, Byron really started messing with what we used to call the mountain motor pro stock stuff. And it was 1640 or 1740 CC stuff. Um, and, and we kind of had a pretty good handle on it back then. And then the four valve kind of went away, you know, NHRA outlawed it. Um, they outlawed it basically whatever it was, 2010, um, 2012 range. They started looking at it when, when the Harley had it, they got rid of it. I mean, we were kind of hoping the whole class would trend that direction. Just because uh, the simplicity of parts, you can go to a dual overhead cam, four valve. I mean, you get rid of push rods and rocker arms and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, so one of the things that we're we're trying to do is with with our four valve is, I mean, we are not... we're not doing it conventionally. We're, we're trying to adapt all the state-of-the-art stuff. We want to be, you know, obviously the best at whatever we do. And and for us, it was more about a challenge and a project and taking on something new for something that's been stagnant for so long. Right. I mean, really, the Suzuki platform or what I'd like to call the inline four platform needed something to expand. Um, those engines, much like the 500-inch the pro stock engine, I mean, 
you were looking for what you know one or two horsepower was a big jump yeah if you found it and be quite honest you would lose three or four before we'd find one or two <laughs> yeah so i i think it's going to open the door um i would say probably hopefully a little bit later in the year we're going to have a couple a couple of these engines in bikes testing them the big thing is going to be what's our future schedule look like now yes. we've had the luxury of being off i do believe if nhra does manage to get six or seven races in it's going to be very tough to get something in a bike and go testing but uh we will work on that and try to have something going down the track here i would think uh sometime september if it all works out cool Eddie Kravick, thanks for taking the time today. Good luck uh, whittling parts and pieces there at Vance and Hines. And good luck this weekend trying to win the twenty-five grand and run the table on Sunday for the big U.S. Nationals Wally. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, man. Sounds like a plan. All right, now time for our second guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Fresh off a relicensing or a set of relicensing runs at the drag strip, Tony Pedragon. How you doing, man? Good, good, Brian. I'm, I'm on the freeway. Hopefully the reception's not bad, but I'm doing about 70, 75 and, and I remember this when I used to race. When you'd leave the track, everything was in slow motion. <laughs> and right now, I'm in slow motion. I feel like sticking my head out the window. <laughs> so uh, it's important to tell people you weren't driving a nitro car, obviously, but what were you licensing in and why? Well, I made some crossover runs, and uh, I don't really want to provide too many details, uh, but, but it's for something that we're going to do over the weekend. Of course, there's a lot of, a lot of specialty races, a lot of things going on at the U.S. Nationals, as usual, uh, but I had to make some crossover runs, and uh, Bo Butner was kind enough to let me make those crossover runs in his um, in a super gas car. It was a Corvette that he bought last year. Won his first race, uh, I think the day after he bought it, but it's a very nice car. They're very quick. Race cars are dangerous, Brian. That reminded me of, of that. And, and the moment that you lose that respect for any kind of race car, uh, bad stuff usually happens, but it was a great experience. I made a few runs, and um, nice little track, Ohio Valley, eighth mile. Um, I mentioned to you earlier the track prep was so good, it looked like you could run a funny car down it. Now that's great, and uh, you said you weren't the only one there either. There's some other racers testing for Indy, making sure they were uh, in ship shape before they pulled out of the property. Yeah, it's a big race, and I could see why Don O'Neill, uh, Justin Lamb, there was a few racers that were just getting their cars dialed in, and um, I, I was interesting last week. I went to the test session uh, at Lucas Oil at the racetrack there, and uh, you know, I'm kind of keeping my eye on some of the uh, Cobra Jet Mustangs. And you know, some of those classes they're they're requiring some pulley changes. Uh, you know, they have to work around the rules. So I think it's really in the best interest for a lot of these guys. Um, if if they're losing one of the runs, they'll be glad that they you know they set themselves up because. Uh, we talked a little bit about the high car counts, yeah. and it's very competitive for these guys, and uh, it's just good to see them putting the time in, and hopefully they'll go and, and be glad they did. Yeah, so you know, this weekend, it's funny. It's like even though it isn't normal because we're at a 50% capacity and everything else, it's the first time since Phoenix we've actually had a race where it's supposed to be when it's actually supposed to happen. So that is as close to normal as we have been since February. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good thing because it's still it's the U.S. Nationals, and I've been asked a few times for the racers: is is it going to seem like the U.S. Nationals? You know, you don't quite have the build up, but really, if you go back to the Indy 500, you know, a lot of people tuned in, um, 
but it didn't it didn't fall on a weekend that's typical of the indy 500 yep. it wasn't hot i know there was a lot of people outside the facility but you know, it was still the indy 500 and, and so from a racer's perspective if they're not really feeling it right now because you didn't really see the the, the big volume of testing that we would typically see maybe with the exception of last year because you know everyone's trying to cut costs and trying to cut back on testing but you know outside of that every year prior it was you know it was like an event it was like a race but cars were testing to try to get set up uh, you know for that race but but the one thing that most of the teams really focus on and and i think you could even um i could even speak for the teams that were testing last week they're really trying to key off uh, on that that friday evening run yeah um it, the session should, should start about six o'clock it's going to cool off uh, to some degree, it's not going to be hot. The potentials there it could be hot or cool. At least the forecast now is maybe in the mid-70s. So the conditions overall may be good, but typically it could be hot, it could be humid. So that one Friday late afternoon or early evening session is really the one that, that sets the tone, and that's usually and the nitro class is the one for position. Yeah, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about t- today is obviously the three sessions, but you know the weather forecast is brilliant for this weekend. I mean, we're talking high temperatures in the very low 80s, so by the time we get into an evening situation on Friday night, um, it's going to be the first time we've seen it in six, seven, whatever, eight months at this point to those type of conditions. So when we look at a guy like Ron Caps that won the last race with Ron Tobler on a hot racetrack, kind of do they did what we expect them to do. They were very good on the hot racetrack. And then I look over to Dickie Venables and I think, okay, maybe this is the guy I need to be paying more attention to because of the fact that this forecast would seem to favor a guy like him. And add in the third variable is that there is no Jimmy Proc to be afraid of at this race. So that changes everything as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it changes completely changes the dynamic of the entire race um, if it is in fact in the 70s because that means the two sessions they get on saturday it's not going to be hot it's not going to be sticky uh when you talk about ron caps and tommy johnson both those cars are equipped with the five disc clutch and they make some impressive runs when it's cool but they just don't seem to be as consistent as the six disc cars uh, you know jack Benjamin, um uh you know matt hagan those are the guys that you really are a bigger threat, in my opinion, um, you know, when the conditions are, are, are favorable, go work in their favor. And, you know, so for that reason, if, if it was hot and sticky like it was at the last race, I, I would say Ron Caps is a heavy favorite because he just ran. He won a couple weeks ago. He had a good combination. Ron Tobler outraced everyone again. But it's a game changer. And I, I think even the cooler conditions, it's going to, to pull in. You know, maybe a J.R. Todd. He's another one of those guys that seem to run better when it's hot. But, um, you know, Alexis, I know a lot of cars that we're testing. I, I just see them having uh, uh, a better race if, if it's a little cooler. It seems like, you know, losing cylinders, the humid conditions seem to be the biggest challenge uh, because they haven't been racing, you know, the normal 24 race schedule. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and it would almost seem too from a you know from a tuner's perspective or from you know from that end of things where you you've almost gotten yourself into this mentality of needing to have the hot weather tune up right, and you got to kind of blow the dust off the books to get something to to be equivalent to these conditions. Because my understanding is even at the test session, uh, it was a pretty swampy kind of kind of swampy day out there. Um, I know talking to Blake Alexander and his team, they basically only made one run, and they decided you know what this really isn't going to help us any for this thing, so let's not beat on our stuff if we don't need to. 
Yeah, and what they fight, what the tuners really fight the most, it's not just a hot racetrack, but it's the humid conditions. So what happens is they're not going to necessarily take power out of the engine, but they do have to lighten the clutch up. There's a few different ways they can do that. They, they have these stops. They call them bandits. They can start screwing these in, and what that does is that takes some of the, the lockup levers out of play. Um, when they do that, it's a domino effect. It changes the fuel curve. So now, if they're not taking fuel away or if they don't have the motor completely hopped up, they're going to be real prone to dropping cylinders. When the humidity comes down and when the DA uh, is low and, and they have you know those moderate, let's say, 70-degree weather conditions and low humidity, they, they don't have to wrestle with any of that. They can, they can throw a little more clutch at it. Uh, the fuel, the fuel is really what makes power and they can load the motor up. So, you know, I, I just, you look back on the history of this race, you have winners like Jim Head and, and you know, Terry McMillan, while he's running a lot better when he won his first Indy race, uh, you know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't able to knock out the kind of performance that he has been lately. Yeah. And I think the reason that you have some of those surprises some of those one-hit wonders was because it was hot. And as we know in this sport, that is the great equalizer. It le uh, levels the playing field, and it really doesn't allow the higher-powered cars that run on clutch, doesn't allow them to run as quick. And, and I think, I, I, don't, I just don't think, I think the conditions this year work in the favor of, of the, the bigger names, the, 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 the more predictable drivers that we feel can come out of this with a win maybe like a Steve Torrance or a Matt Hagen or Jack Beck. Yeah, and, and I was going to talk touch on Steve Torrance, of course, um, as we have talked about on this show and everybody's talked about around drag racing. Dom Lagana uh, still hospitalized after the crash that he had with Richie Crampton and Jake Sanders. And not that those guys need any motivation on the Capco team. We know that they don't. We know how good they are and what they can be. Does it make them even more frightening when you know they're showing up this weekend with a real purpose, which is to win this race for Dominic. It, does that make them an even more formidable kind of army of, of, of a top fuel team? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I agree with you. It is, it is the wrong kind of motivation yeah. that you want. Um, but, but if, if you just base it off of the performance of, of how that team is, is, is doing and how they did at the last race, um, I'd say, they're a heavy favorite. I, I think there's some cars that are still uh, a threat, um, you know, like Antron Brown, uh, you know, Tony Schumacher, he was testing. That car isn't going to be the car that you saw at the first couple races. Agreed. It's not going to be the tire smoker. You got Mike Green in that corner. They have chemistry. Uh, they've got plenty of data. Um, you know, Doug Coletta, you know, his car, his car can run with the best of them. But when you talk about the Torrance's, I really wouldn't consider them a one-two punch yet. I think Billy is, is you know, he really hasn't been as good as he could be. Right. But I just, I think the way that Steve Torrance is performing, the motivation's there. It's it's very unfortunate what happened. Um, but I just, I don't think that they need the motivation. I think they have the car. I think it's that time of year. I do believe that they really regret skipping that first race you know, for whatever reason, maybe it was politics, maybe it was, you know, they wanted to plead their case based on what happened, you know, at the finals with, um, with Cam, you know, with, Cam yeah. with Cameron Foray, whatever the reason at this stage, under these circumstances, it, it doesn't look like it was the best decision. 
and now they've really got to work. And not only do they have to put the work in, but but they need some cooperation from one guy, and that's Doug Coletta. And I would say that he is performing as well as he has, um, maybe maybe in 07 when he lost the championship to Schumacher. Um, he's he's as, as good, as big a threat as he's ever been. Yeah, I mean, this could be a huge statement race for Doug. You know, in my opinion, I look at it. Obviously, NHRA is talking about we have not seen the schedule at this moment. We're making this show on a on a Tuesday afternoon, if you will, and the schedule is supposed to be released at, uh, tomorrow, which would be Wednesday. But NHRA is talking about like a half dozen races uh, left after this Indy event. Um, Steve's about 85 points behind. He carved into that, that uh, deal against Doug pretty well after the last race. But, you know, for Doug Coletta... I think in that whole team, they just cannot get a, they cannot be nervous about who's trying to chase them down as much as they just have to keep doing what they're doing and maintain some buffer there. If they keep going rounds, there's no way you can catch them. But if they let themselves out of a race like Indy early, the whole thing could turn on their head really fast. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, and especially with the kind of momentum that Steve has. And there is no question that Steve right now has the momentum it's not necessarily doug right i just don't see doug getting beat they're not beating themselves early uh, early in the race and what they have now is they have performance and if you go back in the history of that team regardless of who the tuner was it seemed like they were trying to run with the top two or three or four cars and they were always solid you'd always find them in some of the later rounds but because a lot of the teams would put pressure on them it's almost as if they had this additional pressure to run better, and they don't have that pressure anymore. Yeah. The performance is there. They know they have a good driver in the seat that can get it done. And um, I, I just I, I think that while Torrance is the favorite for the, to, to win the race, he's still chasing Doug, and, and it's going to take a lot for him to catch him. And uh, he's going to need some help from some of the other guys, I'm sure, who are more than willing to step up. And in particular, his dad. You know, his dad, his dad is still the wild card. Yes. He still has a car that can run as good as Steve's. But, you know, when you race Doug and you talk about Doug Coletta, it's, it's car control. It's, it's his ability to give them free performance on that starting line. And in our sport, that's where it begins. And a lot of times that's where it ends. Yeah, and one last uh, topic I wanted to cover with you, which kind of uh, rolls directly off of your last point, is this final round that we're going to run in the top fuel category at the close of qualifying um, at the U.S. Nationals that will determine the winner of the Lucas Oil Summer Nationals. And um, you mentioned starting line performance. Justin Ashley is one half of that. And, you know, we've gone from kind of being happily surprised at Justin Ashley to myself maybe being shocked at how good he is and now accepting the fact that this guy really is what those numbers are telling us he is. He's not a shenanigans guy. He is just brutal at the starting line. Right. And is this not one of the most anticipated final rounds in a long time? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it is. And I don't think it's because of the delay. But, you know, if if I were to have to size this matchup up, and, and, and of course, Beckman and Hagen, that's going to be a brawl right there. But, you know, in top field because there's two new faces you've got you've got the younger justin ashley uh, you talked about how good he is on the starting line but here's what it comes down to for me that car blows up a lot you know when you go to their pit or you walk by their pit you see a lot of carnage you see a lot of engines laying off to the side so the way they're running the car it, it runs quick but on occasions it'll blow up if it spins the tires put cylinders out I don't know if they're running a lot of compression or a lot of blower, 
but there's a reason that it does some damage and that's you know that's that's really been Aaron Brooks's trademark he can run as hard and as good as anyone and he's really changed the dynamic of that team I mean that car's a contender yes it wasn't without Aaron Brooks but you have to factor that in and Tony Zizzo I think he has enough experience that I, I just don't think he's going to go to the starting line and do anything crazy I don't think that that uh, Justin Ashley has been living in his head rent-free. I just don't see it. While he has never won a race, this guy has a lot of experience. I look for him to be steady, and I think they can get close to the kind of performance. So if I have to give anybody the edge, it's going to be Zizzo, but it's not by much. I'd say by 51 to 49. There you go. Yeah, and, and I can. I kind of feel I, – I kind of fall in, this, in line with that. And I think, uh, you know, to – for my own take, it is if if Zizzo gives that guy too much leash, that's going to be the to me that's going to be the deciding factor. Is I yeah. I know Justin's leaving first. I think and I think TJ knows he's leaving first. But I think <laughs> I, I think I think at the end of the day he needs to leave first, but just not by that much. And that's going to be managing that. I think is going to be the key to it. But yeah, to me it's the most exciting you know exciting top fuel final. In a, in a very long time I would say even going back to Indy 2017 when it was Kevin Kinsley that made the final off of the bump spot I mean that was that was an incredible moment as well and this will be a you know yeah. guaranteed first time winner is something we haven't had in a long time yeah I agree and that's kind of funny that you know Zizzo I agree with you 100 percent he cannot give up too much if you're talking 100 200s maybe three tops you can make that up yep and and you know who knows what'll happen at seven eight hundred feet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say whoever is ahead at eight hundred feet <laughs> is gonna win that race. It doesn't even need to be a thousand feet, but it's we're all gonna be on our toes on our feet for that one. It's not gonna be uh, it's not gonna be Jim Campbell versus Sean Langdon in the funny car at St. Louis a year or two ago. He got him at about nine hundred eighty one feet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I just I don't see anybody falling asleep. You know, it happened to Terry McMillan, it happened to Austin Proc. You know, and hey, things happen. Um, I don't really know what. It's hard to explain because you just got to be good for that moment in time. But uh, I think these two guys are going to be pretty hungry for their first win, and uh, I, I, it's just going to be exciting. I, I think it's the anticipation uh, and the matchup. I mean, and and how much did that do for our sport? that you know we've had all these challenges this covid this pandemic and and nhra their management has been very creative and very persistent in in getting these races off in a safe and professional manner and and you have two faces that we have not seen i don't know if that's good for pro or for for these these guys that you know that constantly threaten nhra because somebody's always going to fill the void and, and there's proof right there that, that we're all anxious and we're going to be on the edge just to watch these two guys uh, settle that final round. That's going to be great. Someone will be uh, holding a Wally at the end of the racetrack for the first time of their life, and we'll have the unique opportunity to win two of them over the course of the same weekend at, uh, at Indy. So, Tony, I look forward to seeing you later this week. Congratulations on successfully getting your super gas license. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hey, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll spill the beans. There'll be some details. You just got to stay tuned. There's some, some cool events going on at the race. Yeah, it's going to be great. Can't wait to uh, actually can't wait to see this whole thing go down. So be good, man. Travel safe, and I will see you later on this week. See you soon. 
So there you have it, two conversations with two racers who are excited about the U.S. Nationals. The Denzel Sparkplugs U.S. Nationals will be broadcast on FS1 from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Then you're going to switch to your local Fox affiliate at 1 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern on the local Fox affiliate. We'll get you all the rest of the eliminations action, the heartbreak, the triumph, the craziness, the awesomeness, and everything that has the Denzel Sparkplugs U.S. Nationals incorporated into it cannot wait for indie week it is certainly a homecoming in many ways ironically to a place where we have been calling home for several weeks there'll be big information coming this week about the nhra schedule for the remainder of the 2020 season as well and basically news breaking as it always does around this massive drag race even hearing some fresh sponsorships be announced by race teams as well which is fantastic news of course during these very tough economic times there you have it thanks for listening to this episode of the nhra insider podcast i'm brian loans and i will be in Indy this weekend, and if you can't be with me in Indy, please be with me on FS1 and the Fox Broadcast Network on Sunday. Check out NHRA.com for tickets, and make sure if you can, you are at the U.S. Nationals.